This year, I have unfortunately attended uh, a couple of funerals. I say unfortunately because no matter how celebratory we seek to make funerals, death is still an enemy. It's still an enemy. Funerals are still a reminder that this world is broken and in need of redemption. But in spite of the grief and the sadness that accompany uh, funerals, what encourages my soul during these ceremonies are when loved ones get up, you've been there, and begin to rehearse and recall the good memories, the good moments, and the good marks of a life lived well. At funerals, I don't know about you, but but I, I begin to, to lock in as they begin to eulogize the one who has passed on. And so this morning, we want to spend some time eulogizing Elisha because our text begins with the death of the man of God. 2 Kings 13 and 20. Here are the words we read in the first half of verse 20. So Elisha died and they buried him. You know, the matter of factness of how the Bible often describes the death of some of its prominent figures can be jarring at times. <laughs> I mean, you remember when, when Noah died. Remember Noah, the prominent figure in the Bible, perhaps one of the more popular uh, figures of the Old Testament. When Noah died, the Bible says in Genesis 9, 28 through 20 and 29, after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. <laughs> That's it. That's all we get. And how about when Abraham died, the father of the faith, Father Abraham, the one we, we sing about. When he died in Genesis 25 and 8, we get these. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. That's it. That's all we get at the end of these prominent figures' lives in the Bible. And this type of matter-of-factness is in keeping with the death of Elisha. He died and was buried. There's no, there's no record of his mourning, of lamenting, uh, no, no, no specific details around his final hours or, or the last words that, that Elisha uttered before he died. All we have is that Elisha died and was buried. Despite the brevity of the announcement of his death, we cannot deny the fact that Elisha lived a full life, and not just a full life, it was a good life. Elisha's life was a life lived well, and one that we should be encouraged by and meditate, I think, on a little bit this, this morning. And so that's what we're going to do. Spend some time meditating, uh, eulogizing the life of Elisha. The truth is, 
We can't talk about Elisha without mentioning Elijah, right? The life of Elijah. For remember, Elisha was mentored, or we might say discipled by Elijah. The Bible tells us that, but you also see that in how their lives mirrored each other as they performed similar types of miracles. You look at the miracles that Elijah performed, and you look at the miracles that Elisha performed, and they are quite similar. But while their lives mirrored each other, we do see here that their transition to heaven differed. Remember, one tasted death and the other didn't. Remember when we got to the end of Elijah's life? Elijah was taken up to heaven in a chariot, by chariots of fire. He did not taste death. There was no sickness that we heard about Elijah experiencing, no being struck down. He was just taken up to heaven in a chariot. But here, we have Elisha suffering under the sinful effects of this world. He was sick, we learn in verse, uh, 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 in earlier, in verse 14, that he was sick with an illness. And it is that sickness that ultimately led to his death, the death of Elisha. Now, what does this say to us? What can we glean from the differences in their transitions to heaven? Remember, the transition of Elijah by a chariot and Elisha transitioned into heaven through death. Well, I think this drives home the point that God will have mercy on those in whom he will have mercy. That's the point I think we can learn here. Now, what do I mean by that? What do I mean? I mean, God acts according to his good pleasure and answers to no one and isn't required to give a reason for his actions. So here's what I think we should take away from Elijah being transported to heaven and Elisha entering heaven through death. We should understand that Elijah's transport into heaven was not tied to his faithfulness here on earth. Okay? I need you to hear that because we not only make that assessment of Elijah's life, we do it with our lives and the lives of others as well. You see... Some believe that the reason Elijah didn't take, taste death, the reason why he was transported to heaven and didn't experience death was because he was obedient to the Lord or because he was a man of God and a, and a man of faith and, and did these mighty miracles. And therefore, his reward for that faithfulness was that he would get transported to heaven rather than experience death. Well, Elisha's death proves that all wrong. <laughs> we have said throughout this series, haven't we, that Elisha received a double portion of the Lord's Spirit. 
and perform double the miracles that Elijah performed. If Elijah didn't taste death because of his faithfulness and, and the miracles he performed, how much more so than Elisha? He shouldn't have tasted death if that's the theory and that's the equation we're using. But that is not what we see. Because that is not how God works, is it? Please hear this application. God's actions and plans in our lives aren't necessarily tied to our faithfulness and obedience. It is true, listen, it is true that we do reap what we sow. We, that, that is true. I mean, when we look at the Proverbs and we see the way of, 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 the, of the wise and the way of the, the fool, yes, that is true that you do reap what you sow, but that doesn't mean that God is a transactional God. We don't have a quid pro quo relationship with God, meaning God will scratch your back if you scratch his. In fact, if that was the case, our lives, you do understand, would be full of suffering and little to no blessings. Think about that for a moment. Our blessings tied to our faithfulness and obedience only? <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we would have very, I don't know about you, I would have very little blessings in my life. <laughs> Listen, your faithfulness and obedience to God doesn't guarantee a life devoid of suffering. Not only, not only does Elisha's suffering and death prove that out, but that's the testimony of the scriptures. <laughs> it, they, the scriptures prove this out. Remember John the Baptist? Jesus called him the greatest prophet. What happened to John the Baptist? He got his head cut off. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, Elijah's testimony of escaping death is unique. God chose to take him that way because it pleased the Lord to do so. And so we should see Elijah's transport to heaven as unique and Elisha's transport to heaven as normative. As normative. It was James who reminded us in James 5 that Elijah had a nature like ours, and he prayed and saw the rain start and stop, right? Well, brothers and sisters, we can look at Elisha and say he had a nature like ours because he tasted death like all of us will taste death. <laughs> the point being, the point being, these men, both Elijah and Elisha, were not superhumans. <laughs> They had natures and flesh just like us. Elisha performed all those miracles, and he still suffered death, just like each one of us will. That is the end. For all born into this world, it is guaranteed. 
death is guaranteed. Hebrews 9 and 27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once. That's the appointment. Death is the appointment, the appointment for which no one is ever late. No one ever misses this appointment. And so as death does, as funerals do, they cause us to reflect on the life of the deceased and evaluate our own. And that's what eulogies do. And so as we eulogize, as we eulogize this, this death of the man of God, we see that Elisha had a life, a life that was marked out by three things that we're going to see this morning. The first one is that Elisha had a life marked out by faith. It's a life marked out by faith. From the moment of his call by the prophet Elijah, Elisha was called on to exercise faith and trust in the Lord. He Remember, he left his family and a life of comfort to follow after and assist the man of God. Brothers and sisters, make no mistake about it, but this, that action took a great deal of faith. It always takes faith to follow after the things of God. A life lived well is a life of faith. It is a trust in the one who calls you to follow. This was Abraham. Abram, it was, a, it was hard to follow the command of God to leave family and to leave what was familiar. But he did. He did it by faith. That's what Hebrews 11 and 8 tells us. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. It took faith to do that. So it was with Elisha when he was called to leave family and to follow after Elijah. His life was a life that at every turn showed that he believed and trusted in Yahweh. And brothers and sisters, as Pastor Tony reminded us last week, a life lived well is a life that begins with faith, is sustained by faith, and ends with faith. Listen, listen, it must begin with faith. There is no life lived well unless that life is in Christ. You, you think you are living, but if you, your life is not hid with Christ in God, you are just dead men and women walking. <laughs> but how does one enter into Christ? How do you get into Christ? Well, it is through faith. In order to be in Christ, you must trust Christ. You must place your faith and your trust in him. And that's why a life lived well must begin with faith. Faith. And that trust and that faith is exercised in believing that he will keep you and ultimately save you in the end. That is the type of faith Elisha uh, displayed when the Syrian army, you do remember, came to capture him. 
he and his servant were in the house and his servant came running in saying, the, the city, the city is surrounded by horses and chariots. Uh, uh, Elisha, what are we going to do? But Elisha, in that moment, displayed an unwavering faith and commitment and belief and trust in the Lord. He knew who he knew was with him and who would deliver them. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 16 and 17, here is what Elisha said to his servant. Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. <laughs> then Elisha prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open up his eyes that he might see. So the Lord opened up his eyes, the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This, that is faith, to believe in a God who has saved you, who is saving you, and who will save you. That was Elisha. That was Elisha exercising faith. Elisha's life was a life marked by faith, but it was also a life marked out by service. By service. When Elisha died, he, excuse me, when Elijah died, he passed on the mantle to Elisha to continue with the prophetic, prophetic ministry. He was called to speak the word of God to the people of God. And when called on to speak the truth, that is what Elisha did. That was the service to which he was called. 2 Kings 7 and 1. But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time, a say of fine flour will, shall be sold for a shekel, and two sayers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Whenever he was called on to deliver a message from the Lord, Elisha was obedient to it. He was obedient to his service, fulfilling his calling of the man of God speaking the word of God. He faithfully carried out his service to the king through the difficult times, not being received well by his own people when he would give the word. Under the threat of his life, Elisha, no matter the circumstances, continued to fulfill his calling, serving the Lord. His life was a life marked with service to his God. But Elisha not just, did not just serve the Lord, he served the people of God. Yes, the miracles he performed were to testify to the power of God and to speak of the Lord's superiority over the false gods of Baal, but in his miracles, he also served the people. He served the Shunammite woman. You remember? She, she, she felt like she had everything that she needed. She was good, but Elisha found out that she hadn't had a son. She had wanted a son, and she did not have a son, and here Elisha enters into her life and grants to her a son. He served her in that way. What about the brother with the, with the axe 
head that, lo- that he lost in the bottom of, of, of the lake. Elisha didn't need, remember we said it seemed like so, so small, so minuscule. But here, Elisha comes and he helps this brother out by performing this miracle, serves him by raising this axe head from the bottom of the lake. How about Naaman? Naaman, the, the Syrian king. He served him by healing him of his leprosy. Countless, countless others, others that Elisha served. He served their needs as he fulfilled his calling to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, you do understand that a life lived well is a life of service both to the Lord and to others. Remember the lawyer? came to Jesus and asked him, what is the greatest commandment? I think the lawyer, whether he realized it or not, was asking the question, Jesus, what does a life lived well look like? And Jesus says to him, love the Lord your God with all of your mind and with all of your strength and and love your neighbor, neighbor as yourself. Jesus essentially told him uh, uh, that, that a life lived well is a life called to service. It's a life of service. A life concerned with others ahead of self. So, brothers and sisters, here's the exhortation. If you are not serving, you are not living out your calling in this world. And therefore, you are not living life well. Listen, I'm not saying if you are not serving, you are not saved. I'm not equating those two, okay? What I am saying, though, if you are not serving, you are stunting your spiritual growth. I was blown away recently at a funeral while listening to the eulogy and and the memories of a dear brother lost. And one after the other, as they got up, they recalled his servant, his servant's heart. Now he was always willing uh, to serve at the drop of a hat when called upon, even when not called upon. Brothers and sisters, that is a life lived well. A life that serves, that gives to others. And brothers and sisters, that is a life lived well. That is the life that Jesus lived. He served. He says in Mark 10, 42 and 45, through 45, talking to his disciples, Jesus called to them and he said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And they're great Ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This this is the example Jesus set for us and therefore calls us. He calls us to follow this example. Greatness in this world is not being served, but serving others. 
Elisha lived a life marked out by service. Oh, he, he lived a life marked out by faith. But lastly, we see that he lived a life marked out by mercy. By mercy. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This was Elisha. He doled out mercy. <laughs> if that is not a theme, listen, if that is not a theme you have picked up throughout our series, right, of Elisha and Elisha, then you have not been paying attention because <laughs> it has come up over and over and over again. When you look at the encounters that Elisha had throughout his life, as, as we have done, you can't help but notice they are a demonstration of what it is to show mercy to those who are undeserving of mercy. Mercy to those who find themselves in misery. And we've seen that, haven't we? The woman who was about to lose two of her sons because there was a debt that she could not pay until Elisha showed up at her door and he showed mercy and kindness. How about when the Syrian army was led into the camp of the Israelites? Remember what Elisha told the king to do? After the king asked, should I kill them? What should, what should I do? They're, they're right before me. You know, Elisha says, no, no, no. Give them something to eat. Give them something to drink. Set before these enemies a feast. Oh, mercy, mercy, mercy. Brothers and sisters, a life lived well is a life marked out by mercy. Here is a question for you, Christian. Are you more known for being merciful or do people think you to be judgmental and harsh? What will they say in your eulogy? Are you quick to point out the sin of others and beat them over the head with the law? Or are you patient and quick to point them to the forgiving mercy of Jesus. Oh, the scriptures, the scriptures are clear. They're clear for us. James 2.13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Oh, if you don't like James, listen to Jesus. Matthew 6.14 and 15, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. An unmerciful Christian is like an unloving Christian. There shouldn't be, ever be anything, there shouldn't even be such a thing. Unloving Christian, un. Un, un, unmerciful Christian? So you are quick to forgive, quick to forgive. You're quick to give, you should be quick to give people the benefit of the doubt, quick to show patience with the shortcomings of others. Oh, something that we so often need help doing. As this is the mercy one displays. This type of mercy is displayed by those who realize that they are the recipients of undeserved mercy. 
the merciful are those who have been shown mercy. And so a life lived well is a life that recognizes each and every moment of every single day how undeserving you are of the grace and the love and the mercy of our Heavenly Father. And being so overwhelmed by that truth, you cannot help, you cannot help but show mercy and kindness and grace to others. Uh, I was reminded this week, few of us were, that it was John Newton on his deathbed that said, I have learned two things in this life, that I am a great sinner and God is a great Savior. And those, you do understand, are the expressions of the merciful, those who have been shown mercy. Mercy, mercy. Elisha was a life lived well. And we see in our text that this life lived well, this ministry that Elisha had, lived on past the grave. And we see that in the second half of our text this morning. Now, it is a very interesting account that we have, that we, we see at the end of Elisha's life. Uh, but, I mean, this is, this is par for the course. We have seen some very interesting <laughs> accounts in the lives of Elijah and uh, Elisha. We are told by the text that uh, there are some Israelites who were in the process of burying one of their own. When uh, they see off in the distance a band of Moabites coming uh, to, to do some raiding. Now, it is helpful to know that things had once again degenerated in the land and the Moabites had been invading year after year and pillaging Israel. So as these Israelites are there burying this, this man, they, they see this band of Moabites and they are, they are afraid that they're going to be attacked by these Moabites and either put to death, maybe robbed, whatever it is, they're frightened, fearing for their lives, in a hurry to escape so that the, that the mob does not see them, that the Moabites don't see them. They, they, they take the man that they are about to bury, and they, I guess, Elisha's tomb is right nearby. They throw uh, this man into Elisha's tomb, which, and, 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 and then we read this. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. <laughs> wow, yes, exactly. That's, this should be the reaction of all of us. Wow, wow. What, what else could you say to something like this? I'm sure, I'm, I, I mean, I don't know what the people, how they responded, uh, 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 the, the people that were watching. <laughs> Did they run in more fear, right? Were they scared? They, I'm sure they were confused. What is this all about? What does this mean? Well, just like the miracles Elisha performed while he was alive, this miracle while he was dead had a purpose. It was seeking to communicate a wonderful truth to those present, to those in Israel at the time, and even to us now. To those 
then this miracle was to communicate a promise. It was to communicate hope. Hope. Hope for the people of God. Hope for God's people. As I mentioned, the people of God were being ravaged by the attacks of the Moabites, and the nation lived in fear of their enemies. They, 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 listen, they couldn't even bury their own dead in peace. What, what kind of, it's not, that, that means that the, the, the nation was in disrepair. The people of God were in a bad shape. There was little faithfulness and little hope. And make no mistake about it, their suffering, what they were experiencing, was a result of their sin and their rebellion. But this miracle was a reminder that despite their faithlessness, God would remain faithful. That though that though the people of God were in a difficult place, and if their situation got worse, even to the point of death, God in his power could renew them and bring them to life again. <laughs> All hope was not gone. Through, one's man's, through one man's death could come life. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, are you seeing it? Are you paying attention? Are you making the connection? This is the story of the Bible. This is why this miracle speaks to us today. This miracle is about new life. The new life that comes to sinners through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. <laughs> From one man's death comes life. Over the last several months, we have been looking at the lives of Elijah and Elisha and their encounters and the events of their lives have been extraordinary. Amen? I mean, we've seen some extraordinary miracles, people being raised to life. Oil jars just continuing to be filled over it, axe heads floating, fire being called down and licking up all the water and, and burning the sacrifice. We have rain stopping and starting again. It's been an extraordinary, extraordinary look at the lives of Elijah and Elisha. But you need to know that although these men were great, there is one greater, greater, greater. He is the one they were pointing to. Elijah and Elisha were pointing to him. And so we have throughout this series not sought to point you to Elijah and Elisha. No, we have sought to point you to the man, Christ Jesus, whose life was a perfect example of faith, service, and mercy. Ah, Jesus' life, you do understand, was not just a life lived well, it was a life lived perfectly. He lived it perfectly, without fail, without blemish. 
And therefore, when, when, when our faith is weak and our service is sparse and, and mercy is not our first response, we can trust the one who lived the perfect life we could not live. And Jesus, like Elisha, suffered, he suffered, died, and was buried. But unlike Elisha, he got up out of the grave, the first fruits of new life. So in his death, it is Jesus' death and resurrection, not the death of Elisha, that ultimately brings life to dead sinners. And Jesus' death didn't just bring life to one man. It brought life to many. Jesus says in John 12, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. This is Jesus. That is the hope we have in him. All those who are touched by Jesus are brought to new life. I pray, I pray you have been touched by him this morning. His death, Jesus' death, brings life. Let's pray.